Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the See Me podcast. This series we're looking at the journey of our social movement and basically all of the amazing actions and things that people have been doing all around Scotland to tackle mental health stigma and discrimination from really different angles for different interests loads of our volunteers we've got uh, interviews with throughout the series and also a lot of our partners and people we've worked with today we've got a really interesting interview from um, Scotland's chief nursing officer Fiona McQueen um, so it was great to be able to speak to her we've done uh, a few things with Fiona over over the years at events she's come to of ours working together on the nursing vision um, with our former director Callum she also did a presentation together at an NHS conference and someone who in a, a very senior role has a real passion and an interest for tackling stigma and discrimination both for people um, using healthcare services but also for those people within it and particularly for in her role for for nurses as well it's a really interesting interview we've got coming up this as I said is all part of our journey of a social movement series and it links in with a report that we've created which tells in, in some more depth some of the stories that of people's action and, and the lives that people have and what they've been doing and why they've been challenging stigma and discrimination um, and you can read that all it's on our, our website at report.cmescotland.org some really interesting stories on there to check out um, for today I am joined as ever by co-host uh the young go-getter of the team the person who thinks that she is definitely the coolest cat around and has also previously called me a sea witch it's d hello i need to think of another disney character for you for this one <coughs> let's hope it's more complimentary but i doubt it okay yay <laughs> <laughs> And you can be the donkey. Well, at least I'm fun. <laughs> at least um, I'm fun and cute. Yes, and we are also joined by Lord Farquhar, um, our health and social care improvement advisor, Tom. Um, oh. If anyone's not watched Shrek, these are the references. Tom's not actually short. He thinks he's taller than me. but And he does he's... not have a mullet. He's one of the characters I could remember from Shrek and the other person here who I'm talking to who was relevant for it. So hello, Tom. Hello, Nick. I was desperately racking my brains thinking, Lord Farquhar now, is he in the House of Lords or is he a Disney character? <laughs> <laughs> he is also from Shrek. And um, Princess Fiona, is she a character in Shrek or is that a different Disney film? Yeah? Yes. Spot well, Wait, Claire. is Shrek Disney? I want to be the cat, though. I'd like to be a person boots. All right. Yeah. And we also have um, <laughs> our monitor of monitoring officer, Puss in Boots MacArthur. Um, Yay, also hello. Hi, <laughs> Claire. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm living the cat life today. Great. What yeah. does that mean? Well, I think lots of sleeping. Um, hot spaces, sleeping, and eating. That sounds about right. Sounds like a good. baby. Like a cat. Cats and babies are very similar. <laughs> yes, dogs and babies, I think. Brilliant. So, thank you everyone for coming along to chat today uh, about this. We're going to be looking, with the interview being Fiona, uh, at Health and Social Care. And 
some of the the difficulties that people face in getting the right help and support some of the difficulties that people working in health and social care face as well in, in giving the kind of the support and the care that they would like to and also kind of how they how they deal with their own mental health how they get support for their own mental health and also looking really at some of the the really positive stories that come out of health and social care with the amazing help and support that people get and the and the recovery that people have after the and the huge difference that someone can have working in in healthcare services in social care as well and i always remember one of our volunteers from we were filming some videos some training videos for uh health and social care staff a while back saying that she her kind of message to healthcare staff was that to remember that although they might be seeing lots of different patients and lots of different people each day that for the person who's going in for that patient they that that person that they the, who works in healthcare could be the only person that they speak to that day or that week or that month about how they're feeling their mental health and just the huge impact and importance that people working in health and social care have obviously this year we've seen for for other reasons just how vital and how important um and how hard people in healthcare work as well and it's such a incredibly incredibly important part of our society and such a huge role and nurses which obviously Fiona McQueen being Scotland's chief nursing officer is charge at nurses playing an absolutely huge role particularly in the sort of patient facing areas and when people first come in when they're first struggling if especially in emergency care in A&E and stuff it might be a nurse might be the first person that someone sees or speaks to or gets support from and, and they have such a vital role and Tom I guess I'll start with you in with with nurses in general we hear lots of stories um, about the, the great work they do and also the work that sometimes occasionally some of our volunteers don't always find they get the support and care they need but how how important are nurses in ensuring that people get the right help and support for their mental health, especially when they're in moments of crisis? The the role of the nurse is um, one of the most important in terms of people's experiences of uh, care, uh, for uh, especially uh, for people with lived experience of mental health. We've had quite a focus over the last year on the role of nurses and the, the, the sort of uh, line management of nurses, the sort of senior charge nurse role as well, for a number of reasons. Um, one being that day to day, if you like, uh, you are going to interact with nurses a lot. And so their approach uh, and their values and their language and what they think about mental health uh, really matters to patients, to, to people um, with mental health problems who are going to be interacting with nurses. The other reason is that um, we almost think it's, it's a doubly critical thing because we know from our experiences with workplaces that the line management function, the line management level, seems to be absolutely critical to uh, your experience of mental health inclusion or stigma and discrimination. If you have in any workplace, health and social care or otherwise, a line manager who gets this stuff, who understands um, everything around mental health inclusion, 
you are going to have a good experience if if you disclose if you if you have an issue you're going to have a good experience regardless of what the organization has uh, whereas the organization that you work for could have every possible support mechanism in place but if your line manager just doesn't get it you're probably going to have a bad experience we think that that is true of the the senior charge nurse role that in terms of setting the approach of the teams of nurses and the the subsequent behaviors that roll out from that that nursing line management role seems to be absolutely critical so a lot of our work has recently has been focused on uh, targeting that group and that level in order to maximize the impact that we can make and accelerate the journey towards improving mental health inclusion and reducing stigma and discrimination yeah and it is so important to be able to speak to the people who have that kind of level of influence to be able to actually have these changes filter through and to see that and I know in the health and social care training videos that we recorded which will be going up on our website and um, you'll be able to see there's some really interesting stories there but one I remember from a nurse speaking about her own mental health as well and how important it was that um, her kind of senior management were in supporting her to be able to allow her to then get back to work and I think that's a really interesting point as well is to really consider the the mental health of those people working in healthcare as well and and I thought her story was really interesting in that and I guess that around kind of mental health in general and in health and social care both as to experience it and to work in it Claire you um you did the interview with Fiona it was a really interesting one and one of the points that I thought was really interesting she pointed out which I hadn't thought so much before was how some nurses who worked in in mental health felt that they were almost discriminated against because they worked in mental health because they're mental health nurses um and do you think that was, it was such an interesting point and how how did you kind of how do people working in mental health do they sometimes feel like they are treated as lesser to those working in physical health yeah exactly you picked up um it was a really interesting point um that fiona was talking about um she see she was very when we were speaking to her she was very knowledgeable about where the stigma existed within the healthcare profession and as you said she really talked about um the fact that the mental health nurses are stigmatized against because of the profession and how um that that needs to be tackled as as well as um other stigmas that are happening um so she talked a lot about education and how she wanted to um, she wanted to sort that from day dot kind of thing. So when you decide to study nursing or whether it's mental health nursing, um, that stigma it, she wanted to reduce it from that level so that it would then move throughout the system. But I think she had a really good overview of what the landscape was like in nursing and that bigger picture would um would help her to tackle the areas along like working with see me um, she called me see me um a critical friend a lot um which i thought was really interesting she knew she was very 
very clear on where where stigma was, but using CME to go, okay, so I want to reduce it here to start with, and how can you can, how can you help help me and be that critical friend and and make sure it is the right thing or um, we're approaching it in the right way, which is yeah really interesting. It was, and I guess, really, really welcome as well from someone who is in such a senior position to yeah, see see me in that way. And one of the ways that we have previously tried to do that and to be a critical friend, and what is obviously so important for us is to bring in the voices of lived experience. So when you're training or, or trying to make a difference or support healthcare, to actually ensure that people whose real experiences of accessing health and social care. It really sometimes if it's been quite a negative experience it's so important those voices are heard to be able to make change as well as the positive experience as well so you can learn from what's worked before d we see so much don't we about how the impact of sharing stories changes things right across the spectrum but how important do you think it is in health and social care with training health and social care staff that those voices of lived experience and those stories are in there I think it's it's absolutely essential, isn't it? You know, part of our key messaging is that we say, you know, it, we always say it's okay not to be okay. And if people are taking that on board and then going to, you know, their GP or their healthcare provider and they're not being met um, with a positive experience, that has a huge knock-on effect. And not only yourself stigma, but, you know, stigma and discrimination as a whole. Um, and I think, you know, using the voices of lived experience, we've got an amazing um, volunteer, Gemma, who we've spoken about before. Um, and her kind of experiences of having a negative response when she disclosed to her GP that she was struggling with her mental health and what that did to her and the impact that had on her um, and the self-stigma it caused and, and it stopped her kind of going back to, to get further help, um, you know, that, you know, those stories are being shared that people realise, oh, you know, that the responses I have and how I, you know, how I respond to people when they're struggling is so, so important. You know, self-stigma means that people don't feel that they should reach out for help or don't deserve help in the first place. Um, you know, and if you're struggling, you know, being able to feel that you do deserve help and you can ask for it is so, so important. And I think, you know, the more that we share those stories and the more that health and social care providers are able to, you know, see that and the impact that, that their responses have on other people is so important. It is. And actually something you said there, which reminded me, which really interesting of having the the right responses, but also, I guess, sometimes the impact that no response can have as well. One of uh, there was a, one of our volunteers did some, some work with health and social care staff and some training for them. And he spoke about how um, he was going through a period where he was experiencing self-harm. He was quite distressed and he was looking really for for someone he, he couldn't ask for help he found it too hard to ask for help for what was going on so he was really worried about the impact of stigma and discrimination and he he was experiencing self-harm but he said in a way that was almost his his cry for help he wanted someone to ask him like what's going on why are you doing this and he self-harmed numerous times within quite a short period and each time we'd gone to the same place to the same A&E to the same see the same nurses and the same doctors and had wanted someone there to just say, why are you doing this? Like, why do you keep coming? But he said every time there was that, the question was never asked. Like, it was, he was sort of patched up and his physical wounds were healed, but they, they never sort of went into, why do you keep appearing 
with these types of injuries what's going on what's happening here and that was what he really wanted and see it's quite hard if you're in that position you're struggling you're worried about being judged you don't know how to phrase it, you don't know how to ask for help because your experiences of asking for help before have been really negative in the reaction you've had but you're trying to do it in some other type of way even if not maybe maybe the best way to do that it's really hard to then not have someone say like why are you doing this and to kind of show that care and compassion on the other hand it's also really difficult as well like if you're probably I imagine those staff who were working in that department were really really busy and they did what they could to to fix what they what they could see I suppose and then thought well I don't have time to do other stuff that person's fixed from what needed fixed immediately so I've dealt with the immediate and now I've got to move on to this immediate as well and that being really difficult but one thing that this is always linked to is training and Tom how important is it that Men, that healthcare staff and nurses particularly are trained in mental health and hear from voices of lived experience in that training as well. I think it's it's one of the things that's quite widely recognised uh, that could be improved and it's different for different job groups. I mean probably the most uh, acute situation that we've come across is with uh, paramedics who are some of the most diligent and caring courageous people that I've ever come across they want uh, all the time to be absolutely doing their best for the people that they're working with no matter what situation they walk into but we know uh, from them telling us uh, and and just from looking at the system that they don't always get uh, the right type of training when it comes to um, dealing with distress or people in a mental health crisis or someone um, experiencing a mental health problem. So that can lead to um, responses and handling of the, the issue in the patient that is stigmatizing and discriminatory. And it's, it's not a lot of the time we, we say these phrases like stigma and discrimination, and it can sound like an accusation almost that that person lacks care or lacks compassion or lacks kindness and it's it's absolutely not that a lot of the time uh, the person involved just doesn't have the the training or the the necessary um, skills yet uh, to provide the type of response that we and the patient are looking for and also uh, a slightly wider issue as well because sometimes it is a learning and development thing sometimes it's a training issue but sometimes it's a systematic issue again stigma and discrimination doesn't have to be the thing that might jump into your head of oh I, I don't trust people with depression or I don't like people with schizophrenia uh, most of the time it's not that it can be someone uh, with a mental health problem having to repeat their story four or five or six times because the the nurse or the care home worker or the doctor either doesn't have time to look at the clinical notes or the clinical notes have perhaps been uh, missed off um, or the for whatever reason the person just having to repeat their story and almost having to relive the trauma over and over again is a form of stigma and discrimination. And it's no lack of kindness or compassion from the person. 
it's a systemic problem. Definitely. Yeah, that is an issue that I've heard come up quite a few times as well in people having to tell the same story and repeat the same thing again and again, which can be quite traumatic within itself and quite difficult and frustrating as well to not think that it's all joined up and if you've told one person and it's written down where's that gone and also a concern as well as to actually where has that gone if I told someone and you don't know why who does know what's happened to that and that's obviously one of the kind of things that we hear more commonly about issues within health and social care and Claire when you've kind of looked through and, and all our monitoring and stuff and, and some of the experiences within health and social care is there any kind of common things that you've seen that people with experience of fact like with lived experience have gone to get help and support and maybe not for whatever reason or, or they've struggled is there any kind of common things that you've seen coming through with that yeah I think just building on from what Tom was saying as well um we were talking about we talk about it, see me it needs to be the whole obviously the whole system it needs to be um right from the top we have mental health inclusion and parity of esteem between mental health and physical health um if we've got that from the top and what we speak um to Fiona McQueen about is her direction on making sure um their strategy is very much very much um actions in there for the parity of esteem and mental health inclusion and I think what we're saying is if it's being directed from the top, hopefully you would see um, if it's a time issue that time would be um, moved slightly so that um, you have that time in your example um, to ask, well, why why is this happening? What What's going on in your life that we can talk about or help you with? Um, and we're talking about um, distress as well, being able to have that time to speak through that situation with somebody rather than just assessing the physical needs and moving on. Um, and having that from the very top and hopefully trickling down into, we talked about senior management and um, having that support there for staff um, or having them as a support for their staff and then the staff again trickling down to um, frontline staff will be able to give a compassionate, the compassionate care that they want to give um, and be able to be supported by their senior management and then, as we talk about senior management, then being supported by the strategies that are in place at um, a strategic level. And when you look at all three levels um, and you take the whole system into it, we um, it gives it gives everyone a better uh, a footing to start on, um, and it means that everyone is getting the care that they deserve at every level. Totally, and that kind of deserving of care is a really important point as well, because some of the things that that we have heard from our volunteers and people speaking to us, um, uh, as well, I guess for for many of us, for people that we know, for those close to us, or, or for some of us as well would be that they've not always... Sometimes I think people feel that they are treated as though they're a bit of an inconvenience or, like, that they're... If especially, like, an incident with self-harm to one of them where it's like, oh, like, you've done this to yourself. This is so... We need to... And we've heard that as well from people speaking and their experiences of being told that, you know, we need to treat someone who's actually hurt now because you've done this to yourself and not feeling like what's happened to you has been taken as seriously and the kind of whatever the psychological impact going on 
not being taken as seriously as well. And I think quite often that is because of the way the system is set up and that people working within it are not able to or allowed to then actually give that more time and, and care and compassion that they want to give because they're constrained by the areas they're working in, which will never lead to frustration. Like any person has a frustration and anyone has bad days at work as well. Um, and But just ensuring that when people do come in, when they are struggling, that we've come back to it again and again, that care and compassion is there and that they're treated like a human, they're treated fairly. And, and it's one of the and I guess it's one of the main areas that we focus on, along with workplaces, along with education, um, kind of core areas that simulates tackle stigma and discrimination on. Dee, why do you think particularly health and social care is such an important area that work to tackle stigma and discrimination is done? I think, you know, as we said before, that it's it's kind of twofold, isn't it? It's, it's long-term um, that we need to be tackling stigma and discrimination so that people and patients feel able to ask for help, speak out when they're struggling um, and get that help so it prevents the problem getting worse further down the line and we kind of ease up on the demand that, it, you know, that has on, on um, health and social care as well. But also, you know, tackling stigma and discrimination, as we've said, within, st- you know, staffs at and organisations, you know, if you've got lots of people to look after um, and you feel like there's no time to kind of look after your your own mental health, um, you know, that that can become overwhelming. And if, if staff are feeling increasingly stressed um, or anxious, then that pressure is going to build and it needs to go somewhere Um you know, so you're not necessarily able to give time, um, or you don't feel able to talk about it in your workplace. If you're, if whether you're a nurse or a doctor or a GP, and that kind of spirals down, and, and then you're not able to give people time, and so it has a knock-on effect. So the more that we can tackle stigma for people who are going to their healthcare providers and and feeling safe and comfortable to ask for help so that problems don't get worse later down the line. So that's one aspect of it. And then also being able to tackle stigma within staff and organisations as well so that that, you know, those people are also getting the help that they deserve um, and are able to provide that help to to other people as well. So it's, you know, organisational stigma, it's self-stigma, it's it's a combination of both of those things um, so that, you know, we, we are able to to tackle this kind of long term yeah. and I guess it's then trying to tackle that at, at all different levels and if we are talking about the system starting at everything that can influence that and I know that we would been involved in discussions well around the the nursing vision um also see within policy trying to influence the the mental health act as well um and kind of the government programs for mental health and trying to look at influencing policy and practices um, across the board to really make a difference so it's not just like the individual instances where people are, are struggling whether they're working in healthcare or whether they're working in social care or whether they're accessing some of those services services and Tom how important do you think it is that that we're involved and people with lived experience across Scotland are involved in helping to shape the health and social care policies and practices that are, that create essentially what the system is it's crucially important. I mean, it, just in terms of my own work, it's one of the first things that I did when I came into this role and when I was previously in my workplace role, I went round the CME volunteers uh, and got their experiences. I, I used their 
life experiences to inform not just my approach to the work, but the, the language I used, the, it shaped my values when I was um, thinking about what improvements could be made that would make a difference uh, to mental health stigma and discrimination in whatever setting I was working in. And <clears throat> in the health and social care system, there is now, thankfully, um, a much greater recognition of the, the power of lived experience testimony in achieving change. I mean, one of the strongest examples we have uh, recently is that the General Medical Council are starting to really push towards opening up their patient involvement efforts and um, sort of trying to reach out to non-medical people and non-director level people, the, the people who've uh, typically attended their meetings and been involved in their discussions. They've now reached out to organizations like ourselves and said, can you come along and can you, you know, have someone um, with an interest in health and social care, but who also has lived experience of mental health problems and give us your intelligence, give us your experience, give us your perspective so that we can have that change us and change our processes and show us how we can do something about this very difficult issue. Definitely. And someone who obviously is very passionate about change and about making improvements and making things better is is Fiona McQueen uh, so we'll play that interview for you now uh, so that's Claire who went to go and chat to her and yeah really interesting interview it's such an insidious matter this stigma there are staff who are desperate for help and they say they're not prepared to ask for help uh, because they don't want their manager to know they have mental health problems. They don't want their colleagues to know they have mental health problems. I have spoken to patients in general hospitals who were afraid that their treatment was poor because they had mental health problems or indeed they were minimised because they were wasting time in coming for the help that they needed, whether it was for mental health or for physical health. And therefore, because it's woven through the whole of society, to have an opportunity to stand up and say, see me, I am worthy, I am a person, I am entitled to be me in all my glory, and if I need help, whether it's for my mental health or my physical health, then I should be able to access that in a way where there is no judgment and I'm treated respectfully with compassion and care. How powerful or how important do you, do you find it to, to work in partnership on issues um, like stigma and discrimination? So when just one person says, says it, 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 doesn't, it shouldn't minimise it. But when there's an opportunity to work and to talk about how perhaps nursing students feel alongside social work students, alongside medical students, then it does really make a difference so that there can be a joined up approach. And it's almost as though we have permission to, to take that, the swell of opinion, and 
articulate what's so wrong about it, but I think more importantly articulate in practical terms what we can do about it and having that strength and, and learning from each other I think is important as we hopefully gather pace and momentum and the partnership working with CME, with other colleagues, with other agencies, I think will make a real difference. What do you what do you see the issues of um, the issues are that need to be tackled on stigma and discrimination within healthcare? So I think it, it's a multi-layered issue. First of all, mental health nurses will tell me that they feel they are discriminated against because they're mental health nurses and they're not general nurses. So even within our profession, we at times are missing the respect that we ought to have for, for all practitioners. And that then feeds down into our people with mental health problems because they often feel second rate, second class, not taken seriously. And if we don't challenge that and we don't face up to that, then we're never going to change it. So looking for me at our student nurses, they're our future, making sure that we have parity of physical and mental health, which of course our regulator is moving into our new standards, which is fantastic. But also supporting our students who have mental health problems to, to, to do a demanding degree programme, which has a lot of care and compassion in it. So making sure that we support all of our students so that they can be as whole person care from whole person carers, really challenge that discrimination so that the way none of us would feel, um, we wouldn't think about saying, oh, I've got a terrible headache today. But we probably would think about saying, actually, I'm suffering from depression and I'm on medication, I'm seeing my psychologist and I'm just feeling terrible today. And that's actually what people need to be able to see so that they get the support from their colleagues who are round about them. So I think there are, there are two issues. There's the, the professionals and the people who deliver care and then there's, there's people who access our services who deserve fundamentally the best possible care but at times because of discrimination don't receive it and at times because of their perception they don't come forwards for it and don't receive it. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's it is that two-sided coin. It's everyone. Everyone has mental health, and so we need to look at everyone. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so I'm just interested to know um, with what you see and from what you've seen within stigma discrimination in healthcare. What what do you think CME's role in that would should be or is um, within tackle helping the the profession to tackle it. I think what CME does is it gives us a vehicle, if I can use that term. So without pointing the finger, without being critical of people, it, it gives us a safe space and I think energises and encourages people to speak out, to challenge, to think differently because sometimes people don't realise that that's, they are at thinking in a discriminatory way if they think well, of course, you know, a student nurse with mental health problems is going to um, struggle with their programme. Well, why should they struggle with their programme if we have the right support in place any more than, than someone with other health challenges? And surely we should have all of society 
within our profession delivering care to the people of Scotland. And therefore, CME, I think, can give, um, it can encourage us, it can egg us on, it, it can give us, an, in a way, a neutral, we're not being critical, but we're, we're calling it out for, for, for what it is and gives us um, that vehicle to move things forward. Um, so the 2030 vision for nursing, how important was it for you to raise these issues within the vision to explicitly, I think explicitly spoke, spoke ah, sorry, <laughs> speak about stigma and discrimination in terms of we're talking about nurses and we're talking about um, people in care as well and how, how important was it for you to get that into the vision? So it was incredibly important because if something in my mind, that's so important as our, our 2030 vision. What do we want the profession to, to, to be like, to be able to do, to care for the people of Scotland? Unless we were quite forthright about tackling inequalities and reducing inequalities, eliminating inequalities, believing, absolutely believing, that we can see an end to discrimination for, across all areas of policy, but in this instance across mental health and well-being, then our job will be done. So unless we talk about it, unless we put plans in place to, to remove it and eliminate it, then we're never going to do it. And there is a challenge at times because some people are in denial, they genuinely, genuinely don't believe it, they don't see it, and other areas they think it is the right thing to do because they, they do genuinely believe they have their long-held beliefs which are wholly inappropriate and therefore for me it was incredibly important both so we could support the profession um, to support if mental health and well-being create the environment for nurses uh, to flourish but also support people who access our service and their loved ones to to feel confident and comfortable in knowing that they are going to be supported, whatever their problem is. So there's a couple of uh, wordings in the vision that I just wanted to ask you about and how you came to these decisions. Um, so the first one would be, we talk, it talks about inclusive cultures and parity of esteem between physical and mental health um, and how, how you came about um, adding these in. So essential in my mind that they were there. And we know that people with mental health have worse physical health than, than people who don't have mental health problems, or people with mental health problems have worse physical health than those who don't have mental health problems. In part, that's because healthcare practitioners don't have much as, as much of a knowledge about physical health care as they should. So there's something there about all of our practitioners, both so our mental health practitioners who are care, working with people who have mental health problems, knowing and understanding um, physical illness and some signs, symptoms, and being able to then refer on. The other aspect is for people who, the adult nurses, to be able to support people who have mental health problems when they come into a general environment, whether in primary care or secondary care. You can't possibly care for someone in a holistic way unless you do both at once. Uh, so yes, at times if someone has a mental health crisis or if someone is having an acute stroke, that obviously will take priority. 
but only momentarily. You then need to know if someone um, having a mental health crisis also has cardiac problems or if someone's having a stroke has severe and enduring mental health problems because that will change or ought to change the way that you interact and support uh, these people and their loved ones. So fundamentally, palliative esteem has to be there. Otherwise, we're, we're selling the people of Scotland short and our profession if we don't do that. So one of the saddest discussions I had was with a mother whose son uh, had severe enduring mental health problems and he was admitted to an inpatient ward and the nurses left him to left him to sleep it off and he found a way to, to self-harm and then a few months later in another healthcare setting he took his own life and that to me was about lack of inclusion it, w it was about placing someone out with the remit of, of belief that, that he could be helped or he could be cared for in, in a physical care setting. It's about people not wanting to include if someone has depression or a severe enduring mental health problem and they're struggling with their workload. It's about their colleagues being afraid. Sometimes they don't know what to say, they don't know how to deal with it, or they get cross because they feel they're going to get more work because of it. But actually, workplaces, and this is, I think, where CME can really make a difference, workplaces need to make adjustments. If someone has had a hip replacement, then you don't expect them to come back and run up and down wards and departments right away. And similarly, if someone has mental health problems, you don't expect them to come back and be able to deal with uh, a huge complex caseload. So making sure that there is room for everybody and that everybody absolutely matters is hugely important for me, for the profession, but also for the people we, we care for. How do you have? How do you think CME should continue to work in this area moving forwards? So I think building on strengths. I think continuing to be the voice of people who at times feel they don't have a voice. So speaking out for people um, who, so that we can hear even the, the smallest whisper, so that we can really hear what we need to do. At one stage, I think it would be great if we could talk about See Me in the past to say, imagine we needed to have uh, such an organisation, such a movement for people, and the job will be done then. But I, I, I think they're continuing to challenge, needing to, to move forwards with, with the way society is, and, and I think See Me uses social media well. But continuing with the strategic partnerships, continuing to, to press forward and having confidence that, that that art of the impossible, we will actually get there and we will get to that, that space where there is absolute parity between mental and physical health and, and no longer will people be fearful about you know, accessing healthcare because they have a mental health problem and they'll not be taken seriously or you know, member of staff fearful uh, to admit to having mental health problems to their manager in case they, they're discriminated against within the workplace. That sounds fantastic. One day. One day. One day. <laughs> One day. Um, so what would, um, we're asking everyone, what would your 
message be to help end stigma and discrimination? And so if it makes it easier to think about somebody that you might see stigmatizing, or if it was just like a general message, what would you, what would you say to somebody? I would say stop, think, believe, have confidence that the person you're speaking to, whether it's a member of staff or, or, or someone who's using a service, um, is at their most vulnerable and is needing help and support and is just like you and therefore deserves and, and that respect and needing to suspend judgment if it's not too jargonish to, to do that. Um, but stop, think, look, listen, make sure that you're responding to the whoever it is in a way that's sensitive, personalised to them and respectful. That's great. Um, so what for you with the message with the message and the strategy and what what do you see the future of nursing look like with the the ending of stigma and discrimination? There's a place for everybody, absolutely. And we want to support that and, and make sure it happens because it's if you can't see it, you can't be it. So how can we expect people who are, have services delivered to them have a confidence and a belief that they will truly receive uh, the care that they need and not be discriminated against if within nursing we, we still have that level of discrimination? So we need to have a confidence that we absolutely can make sure that there's a place for everybody and people are supported in, in a way that supports them to flourish. Okay, thank you to Fiona to chatting to us there and a reminder that if you want to find out any more about the Journey of the Social Movement, then it's report.cmescotland.org is where you can find out all the information and read some of the other stories of the impact people have been having across Scotland. Um, so... Thank you very much for everyone for joining me today, for Lord Farquhar, for uh, Puss in Boots, and, uh, and, and as always, to you, Donkey. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome, Shrek, my loyal onion friend. Yes, I am. Um, so, and thank you to everyone for listening to this old ogre. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, was it like onions?